Now, more than ever, climate change needs business action. But how can we move faster to slow it down? Find out more on ey.com forward slash IE. Hello and welcome to Inside Business with Kieran Hancock, a podcast from the Irish Times. On this week's show, I'm talking to Charlie Taylor of the Irish Times, who's in Lisbon for the Web Summit. And in the second half of the show, our economics correspondent, Owen Brooke Kennedy, will talk me through a bumper set of exchequer returns for October, which has yielded a tax windfall for the government. But it's the Lisbon first where some 40,000 delegates have gathered for the Web Summit, which is once again an in-person event. Charlie Taylor is there for the Irish Times, and I began by asking him what restrictions, if any, are in place for the summit. I mean, I suppose the key thing is, I mean, is how normal everything has become straight away. I mean, you know, there are precautions in place. There's, you know, you've got to, it's one of the few places that I've been so far when I've been traveling where COVID tests are essential when you're wandering through the door or evidence of PCR tests being done. You know, they, they are being very tight on it. It takes a bit of time to get into the venue here. But outside of that, it feels very normal immediately, even though there's 40,000 people swanning around. You kind of, you know, everyone's got face masks on and, and it's just, adjusting to the norm you know that's the way it is I suppose the key thing is people just seem so relieved to be back at you know whether it's web summit or just a big conference generally of like I suppose it's another sign of you know normal life sort of seeming to be uh, resuming yeah sure now Paddy Cosgrave uh, did an opening night speech and he mentioned Leo Varadkar in his but not in a positive way tell us about that no, he uh, he was in. He was just before he was introducing the uh, Francis Haug and the uh, Facebook whistleblower. He mentioned Whistleblower Aid, which is an organisation that's supporting her, and he mentioned about them coming to Ireland and setting up as part of, and their first foray into the Irish Republic and into Britain was uh, through supporting uh, the Village magazine's piece on Leo the Leak, as they call it. The the uh, the uh, reports that were sent of him giving uh, reports early to a GP friend of his last year. And obviously there's still a Garda investigation going on on in terms of that. Now, it was mentioned sort of in passing, he did introduce some of the people up on stage that are involved in, in the uh, release on that. But uh, to be honest, 99% of the audience, it just went completely over their head. You, you know, it was kind of just funny because you saw every Irish person in the crowd kind of going, whoa, and the whole rest of the world just, I have no idea what happened there. <laughs> so, I mean, it, it definitely raised eyebrows, you know, amongst the Irish uh, contingent, but everyone else sort of ignored it. <laughs> Yeah, now you mentioned the Facebook uh, whistleblower, Frances Hogan, um, and she's had many platforms over the last uh, few weeks to talk about uh, her issues with Facebook and, and the way it's organized and uh, the way it goes about its business. And she aired a lot of those uh, issues again at Web Summit. Yeah, very much so. I mean, you know, and it's been interesting because she was followed the next morning by Nick Clegg, you know, the former British Deputy Prime Minister, who's now uh, Vice President for Communications, and I think it's Global Affairs, I'm not sure the exact title, who was very much on the defensive and said, you know, the idea that, you know, Facebook is putting profits above safety, which is what Francis Haugen has been saying, you know, is ridiculous. You know, you, you know, Facebook is more about sort of bar mitzvahs and, you know, parties and things like that you know the, the while it does have some pretty un, unpleasant com, uh, content on it you know that's not the majority and there's no way facebook is prioritizing the sort of hateful content if you like simply it says because advertisers would not want to be associated with that 
I think that's a bit of a weak argument, to be honest, as, as anyone that's seen any posts that are kind of, you know, derogatory, controversial, etc. You'd kind of go, you still see advertisers next to those posts. So, you know, I'm not sure how good a job they're doing of, of separating the two. Any talk over there of the new brand for Facebook Meta? It seems to be a, a very mixed reaction since it was launched last yeah, week. It's, it's been very muted. It's very rarely come up in conversation at all, to be honest. I mean, outside of, you know, Nick Clegg was pushing it a lot. And, you know, I, I think probably the most impressive bit of his speech yesterday was that he kept on referring to Meta and not making the mistake of referring to Facebook, which is what everyone else is still calling the company by. You know, so, you know, he, he, he stayed on he stayed on cue and... Uh, referred to it as meta all the time you know so that was kind of his his one good bit from his speech outside of that it's a bit of a muted uh, response now uh, facebook's chief product officer is going to be on stage again later he's going to be talking from the metaverse if that makes sense you know his interviews being done via that so i mean it will be interesting to see the sort of reaction to that but i mean you know it's very much even the idea of the metaverse is still very much in its sort of early days you know so i mean it's it's you know facebook has kind of Put out, put its flag in the flag in the sand, if you like, and said, "This is where we're going." But we're a long way from that at the moment. So I think you know people are going to sit back and wait and see. Right. Okay. Um, now sticking with the theme of hate speech, Thierry Henry, former Arsenal footballer, uh, best known in Ireland, of course, for that uh, handball uh, in two thousand and nine in the World Cup playoff, which denied us of the robbed us of the opportunity of participating in the World Cup in South Africa. Uh, he he's accused social media companies of making money from hate speech and said he's no plans to end his boycott of the industry. Um, does anybody care? Was there much of a reaction at Web Summit to that? There was. I mean, you know, I think, you know, it fits in with, uh, you know, something that is, it is, you know, the whole thing around Facebook in particular. I mean, last time I was in uh, Lisbon for Web Summit was myself. I was here 2018. I missed the one after that. But uh, around that time was the first time where it felt as though the tech giants rather, you know, Web Summit is always one of those places where, You've got loads of people kind of going around, kind of going, tech is the future and everything's great. It seemed to be the first year where suddenly everyone kind of went, oh, my God, are we the bad guys? You know, where suddenly all the sort of negativity around the tech world sort of first started to really kind of come big, you know. And I think that's kind of continued, you know, and I think particularly Facebook is sort of the real where, where everyone's focusing their attention on this. And I think that's continuing right right this year as well. You know, when we're seeing the likes of people like Thierry Henry, obviously then the whistleblowers like Francis Hogan say, commenting, and we even had the EU commissioner, uh, Vera Jourova, yesterday highlighting that there's going to be further action coming from the European Commission in terms of uh, political advertising online, which is very much aimed at sort of uh, making the likes of Facebook, Meta, whatever you want to call them, more accountable. And I think, you know, the, you know, it seems to be very much the case of like, if we're going to see action to rein in the likes of Facebook and Google or whatever, it's going to be coming from the European Commission. I thought the the, the press conference yesterday from, from the uh, commissioner was very strong in that regard of hinting towards that. What Irish companies are at the summit, Charlie? Yeah, it's great to see. It's, you know, it's always so funny being here, obviously, because of the Irish roots of Web Summit. There's a huge Irish contingent here. That's both in terms of attendees and people on stage. And, you know, we're really sort of, I suppose, singing to our strengths, if you like, because we've got some people, you know, Bobby Healy of Manor, who, you know, have become sort of well-known around the world for their drone deliveries in Oran Moor. You know, he's on the big stage today. We've also got Barry Lunn of Provisio, which is a company that's focused on car safety, you know, and, you know, making great waves again in the same way that Manor are. So, I mean, they're, they're two kind of really big, strong companies from Ireland 
that are really making a splash here. We've also got sort of, you know, I suppose they almost seem like old companies like Intercom, which is still only, you know, 10 years old or whatever, who are who are, who are here. They're a regular mainstay here. And then sort of newer, newer companies like Boundless, which is D. Coakley, and they're focused on sort of the employee, the HR tech space, and they're also doing it incredibly well. So a really good range of companies. And I think it really shows sort of, you know, the, the, the wide range in nature of the Irish tech space. Who's on later this week that we should be looking out for? I think there's uh, one of Apple's key guy. Apple very rarely appear at any conference outside of themselves. Well, one of the, their second in command, uh, Chris Ferringi, I think his name is, uh, he is going to be appearing later today. He's on the main stage. So I'm not sure what he's going to be talking about exactly, but I mean, he's, you know, even the, the fact that he's here is a, is a strong message in terms of Apple. He's seen very much a sort of Tim Cook successor or at least, you know, a potential successor. So the fact that he's here and he's going to be on stage is is big news in itself. Now, who knows what, what, how interesting the content will be from that. He could drone on for hours about intricate design that most of us will, will not care about. But, you know, it is a big signal that he's here. So I think he's going to be the big one. Tim Berners-Lee is here again. You know, I mean, he's, you know, the, the inventor of the World Wide Web. I mean, you know, he, he's not the best speaker. What he has to say is often very interesting. It doesn't always come across that well on stage. But uh, he'll be someone that will, you know, no matter when, when he what he says, when he comments, you know, people are always very interested in what he's saying. So a lot of today and tomorrow is very focused on, you know, we've had a lot of the big speakers. Uh, Today and tomorrow is very much about the sort of meeting and greeting, the sort of trying to sign deals, you know, that kind of stuff. So it kind of gets into the more sort of business end of things, I think, really. Yeah, I was going to say, look, we we know that Web Summit makes a lot of money for the company and for Paddy Cosgrave and good luck to them. But what's the big deal about Web Summit? I mean, just explain it, Charlie, for those who haven't been there. What's the big deal about it? Yeah, it's it's a good question to ask because, I mean, you know, you know, it is kind of in a way to, to, to be here. You're like, oh, it's all great fun and all of this and great. You know, I suppose it's a different thing for different people. If you're someone like me, you're just trying to get, you know, it's a, it's a great place to meet other, you know, to meet tech people, just to get those interviews with some people that you wouldn't necessarily get to talk to a lot of the time. For, for early stage startups, it's very much a case of get being seen you know, hoping to meet investors, that kind of stuff. Now, I think in terms of for early stage companies, there's very few deals that happen. You know, you do hear the stories of, you know, 10 years ago, company X, company Y at Web Summit, and they sign a big deal and they're best friends and all this stuff. I'm not sure, you know, and I think people buy into that as like, oh, that could happen to us. I'm not sure in reality how much that happens, but it's one of those things. It's a big stage to be seen on, I think is a big key, particularly for early stage startups. For others, it is very much the sort of meet and greet angle of things, you know? And I think for others, for yet others, it's also a sort of letting your hair down. The, the evening events is, are, are a big part of it all, you know, I think of people just going on the lash for a few days as much as anything else. All right. Well, I hope you're being careful about that, Charlie. Make sure you file your stories before you go on the lash. Uh, Charlie, uh, good luck at the Web Summit for the rest of this week, and we'll see you back in the office. Okay. Talk to you soon. Bye. We're going to take a short break now. When we return, Umber Kennedy will be telling me about bumper tax receipts for the state in October. Now, more than ever, climate change needs business action. But how can we move faster to slow climate change? We know it will take business and government working together to protect our environment for future generations. EUI is leading the way in helping organisations deliver real benefits and drive long-term value in their approach to sustainability. 
by working together, we can reframe the future and create a better, more sustainable world for all. Visit ey.com forward slash IE to find out more. Welcome back to this Inside Business with Kieran Hancock. Now, on Tuesday, the Department of Finance published exchequer returns for October. These showed that tax receipts across a number of headings were running ahead of target. This suggests a strong rebound in the economy following the lifting recently of most COVID restrictions and is very good news for the government. Umber Kennedy, economics correspondent of the Irish Times, joined me for this segment and I began by asking him to take us through the headline figures. So the latest exchequer numbers um, suggest the government is on course for another record tax haul this year. It collected $50.9 billion in tax uh, so far this year, which is $3.8 billion or 8% more than it had anticipated, and nearly 20% up on this time last year. So we tend to benchmark these figures against what the government's predictions and targets are because the year-on-year um, comparisons are a bit misleading. Anyway, so the real standout in the October numbers is corporation tax again. This generated $9.5 billion over the 10-month period, and this was $2 billion up on the government's uh, uh, target for the year so far. But uh, business tax receipts in October alone were a billion above profile. So the department explained that there had been seven large unscheduled corporation tax payments from multinationals in the life sciences sector. So the numbers were also buoyed as well by uh, better than expected income tax receipts and VAT receipts. And they reflect, you know, the improvement in the labour market and the reopening in the economy and the pickup in consumer spending. So very, very strong again. Yeah, sure. And it's interesting on the corporate tax front because Janet Yellen, the US uh, Treasury Secretary, she was in town this week and she had a number of meetings and she was kind of a catalyst for this OECD process coming to a head recently where at global level, and Ireland has signed up to this, a deal on a minimum global corporation tax rate of 15% has been agreed. What was the mood like when she was in town? Because you might have thought she was really pushing for it. I mean, there was real impetus given when Joe Biden's administration came in and she became the Treasury Secretary, if that hadn't happened, if we'd had a, another four months of, uh, of another four years rather of Trump, this might have just drifted on, which probably would have suited Ireland better. Yeah, um, Yellen and Donahue presented a very united front here on Monday at, at, at a series of different events they attended, praising each other at every turn and um, praising the tax deal uh, at every turn. Um, Donoghue uh, said the deal had been brokered in an atmosphere of friendship and cooperation. Uh, he spoke of Yellen's principled commitment in the negotiations and her steadfast rejection of policies that would further fragment the world economy. Uh, for her part, she, she praised Donoghue, said he had been terrific in trying to understand the US perspective. She even tweeted a, um, a photo of herself and Bono. So it was a bit of a love-in. Of course, this probably stands in sharp contrast to the negotiations that took place in the lead-up to that deal. Um, um, Yellen had had led the charge in forging the deal, as you said, and she had had a number of head uh, face-to-face meetings with Donoghue. And remember, Ireland had resisted the deal initially and, and came in at the last minute. Now, she dismissed any talk that Ireland had been cajoled into the deal or that her visit to Ireland had been about mending fences. Um, she said she had a very productive exchange of views over the last seven months with the Minister of Finance. Uh, there was also no mention of Ireland being a tax haven. Remember, that's an accusation that's regularly thrown at us on account of the tax avoidance stratagems used by big multinationals here. So, um, yeah, the atmosphere was all uh, sweetness and lightness and very different, I'd say, to the negotiations that led up to that deal. And Yellen tried to assure Ireland that, you know, um, it would still thrive under the new uh, arrangements 
that its educated workforce and its excellent business environment uh, would continue to drag in investment internationally. The big question, uh, Owen, is around corporate tax on this new OECD uh, process. We're obviously losing our 12.5% rate. It's going to go now to a minimum of 15%, certainly for the big corporations. What impact is that going to have on our corporation tax revenues? And I'm just wondering if it really matters. I mean, if our corporate tax receipts are running ahead of profile as much as they seem to be, does it really matter uh, if we're going to lose a few bob in, under this new uh, OECD process? Well, let me just talk about those figures. I mean, the, the figures this year are very strong and it looks like we'll probably come in uh, at the end of the year uh, with an overall corporation tax haul of around $13.9 billion. That's $2 billion up on last year. And next year, the government is forecasting around $14 billion. And the year after that, 2025, $15 billion. So remember now, the government have, have, have told us that they estimate the hit to our corporation tax base from these changes is about $2 million over the next two or three years. That doesn't mean we're going to fall by $2 billion from this point. It just means that in 2025, revenue will be $2 billion lower than it might have been. But they're all they're predicting that revenue will be 15 billion in 2025, which is up on where it is now. So, yeah, it's going to be lower, but we're still doing really, really well um, in terms of corporation tax. So, um, what's interesting in all of this is that two billion hit to our corporation tax base was calculated and factored in about a year or two ago, and it came on foot of the OECD, the first tranche of OECD changes, which reallocated taxing rights to bigger countries, essentially where these multinationals do more of their sales. So at that time, uh, we didn't think we were going to have a global minimum rate. And that was always a big fear, you know, that we would see a fall off investment if we were forced to raise our headline rate of tax from 12.5% to a rate higher. And now it seems like 15%. But the government, interestingly enough, is sticking with the original estimate of a 2 billion loss. So what can we read into this? Is, is it that we can live with a 15% new rate or is it that they just can't calculate what damage might be done down the road? It, it's very difficult to tell. And even when you think of the uh, Department of Finance and um, the tax commissioners here, they find it very difficult to tell where corporation tax is going. And month by month, they're constantly out. They're constantly erring on the downside. It's always um, exceeding our expectations. So it's very difficult um you know, to predict where tax is going. The new 15% rate seeks to put a floor on tax competition, and it does to a certain extent. But remember, Ireland's headline rate, there, its new rate, maybe with 15%, is still very low globally. Um, so the question is, will, will, will other countries move to that level? And will Ireland's kind of competitive advantage be eroded? Or will it still remain a very competitive headline rate? And that's very difficult to predict from this uh, juncture. Yeah, of course, if it goes up to 15%, we're going to earn yet more money from these big multinationals operating here, aren't we? I mean, that that's what you would imagine. Uh, I, I guess the concern is that some of these multinationals might take flight uh, ultimately if, as you say, other countries, uh, maybe the big countries, reduce their rate to 15%. But Janet Yellen uh, was making the point during the week that while tax might have been a big issue for multinationals, uh, in years gone by, it's probably less so now. A lot of those multinationals are, have been here for a very long time. They've made huge investments. They're well embedded here. Uh, and it's the quality of our workforce and our education system uh, and other issues that are playing in our favour rather than tax. Yeah, I mean, that point has always been made that, you know, we're not just a low tax destination. And and um, she made the point that, you know, our good business environment and our educated workforce were, were advantages that would come to the fore in the future. But 
it's just very difficult to know. I mean, big capital is very mobile when it needs to be. Um, there's been massive changes in terms of I- onshoring of IP over the last four or five years. So it's difficult to know. I mean, at every juncture in this big global tax debate over the last 10 years, we've come out on top. Um, there's been predictions that we we're going to lose investment, predictions that we we're going to lose corporation tax. And each time we come out uh, in a more positive light. So the question is, will this final leg of the journey, the, the headline rate uh, rising to 15%, you know, preface a change in that kind of winning streak. And it's just not obvious uh, which way it's going to turn. Now, Minister Donoghue did warn that the um, in, in response to yesterday's uh, exchequer figures, you know, that the, that, that the revenue is inherently volatile. So, you know, it, it's pretty obvious that the government, the Department of Finance, the country as a whole just doesn't have a good handle on where this is going. And it's a big chunk of change. It's now one in every five euro of tax we collect. So if there was a big movement in the next three or four years, it could have a big profound effect on our ability to spend. Uh, Just on that note, uh, a few weeks ago at a a Dublin economics workshop event that I attended, economist Colin McCarthy said that he'd heard anecdotally that large multinationals here operating in Ireland were fast-tracking revenue from future years to the current time to avoid the new corporation tax liabilities. Now, I I don't know if that's true, but it's an interesting anecdote, and it just shows that the machinations of these big firms are difficult to understand and difficult to predict. Yeah, the economy, it sounds like uh, we're in good shape and we've bounced back well from the lockdown restrictions that were in place in the first uh, half of the year, which were pretty harsh. But I'm just wondering whether it's a bit of a false dawn, Owen, um, because a lot of government support is still in place for businesses. We know that the PUP is tapering off at the moment and the business supports will have to taper off uh, as well in the new year. So what's your sense? What's your view of where the economy is going to go? How's it going to look, let's say, in six months' time? It's a very difficult question to answer. I mean, I think to a certain extent, we're on a, a rebound from lockdown and everything is, is 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 going very strongly in one direction. I mean, the central bank's talking about 15% growth rate this year, which is, you know, stratospheric in, in historical terms. But, you know, just how much of this is unwind, how much of this has been aided by excess savings, how much of this is just generally bounce back. And, you know, in three or four months, Will it all taper off? Um, we've also then got inflation and cost pressures and a cost of living squeeze going on in the background. When the government pull back on those supports, we'd probably then only see the scarring that COVID has caused. But um, yeah, it's, it's it's a difficult period. But I, I, at the moment, the headline figures look very positive. But you know, you'd have to caveat that and countenance that by saying it is a bounce back from an unprecedented lockdown or hiatus in the economy um well you know the government have changed our budgetary metrics to spend more so they obviously are feeling pretty confident about where we're going but as you say you know the consumer facing sectors like retail and hospitality have had been badly damaged there's probably a lot of zombie firms that are living on uh, supports from government that will probably have to close once they're uh, removed yeah, sure. I guess we'll have to uh, see how that plays out. There was some more uh, positive news for the government uh, this week. Unemployment down to 7.9%, which I think is probably the lowest level since COVID broke out in March 2020. Yeah, I mean, it's an incredibly quick return to kind of more normal levels of unemployment. Just remember, in April 2020, the high point of our unemployment uh, caused by the pandemic 
we are at 31%, which is extraordinary. And um, we're now back to 7.9%. Now, remember, before the pandemic, we were down under 5%, which is almost like zero unemployment. It's a natural rate of unemployment. So we're now approximating that. the It's a COVID-adjusted rate. So the actual rate of unemployment without people on PUP is, is about 5.2%. Um, so we're now beginning to move back into that um, area. But, I mean, the headline figure still means there's, there's 200,000 people, which is a, a big amount of people that are either unemployed or in receipt of PUP. Anyway, the exchequer figures kind of show that uh, Pascal Donahue has a few more bob in the coffers than he probably thought he would have. Um, any sense of what he might do with that extra money? Well, the government have already basically signalled in their um, summer economic statement and more recently in the budget that they're going to push the boat out in terms of spending over the next few years. If you remember, back uh, at the early part of the year, um, Donahue and McGrath signaled that they would move towards a balanced budget by 2025. And that was what they were doing prior to the pandemic. Um, that's all out the window now. We now have bigger deficits, bigger spending targets, um, higher ceilings all the way out to 2025. So that's probably kind of in line internationally with what most governments are doing. It's kind of like the opposite of austerity. We're now on a kind of more freer spending uh, kind of round and obviously um we don't have the eu fiscal rules imposed on us for the moment so altogether um they've already signaled higher spending so the excess that we're getting now is probably going to be funneled um you know into paying down debt or into something uh non-spending like but it's it's it seems like there's a kind of freer budgetary environment for the moment anyway all right, well, some good news, I guess, on that front. Umbrook Kennedy, thank you for joining Inside Business. Okay, that's it for this week from Inside Business. My thanks to Charlie Taylor and Umbrook Kennedy. The show was produced by Declan Conlon. Thanks also to our sponsor, EY, for its continued support. Remember, you can get the latest business news straight into your inbox by signing up to our Business Today email at irishtimes.com. And you can also follow the Irish Times business feed on Twitter, LinkedIn, and Facebook each day. I'm Kieran Hancock. Until next time, take care.